Hello, dear listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, and listening to the Spooky Doings podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improv comedian from New York, still not improvising because variants. I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but they're ruining a good time for everybody. Luckily, thanks to technology, you can still have a bit of a good time. And on today's episode, you're going to hear me catch up with uh, producer, director, uh, musician, Robert Galuzzo. But for our listeners that don't know, back in the day, we were just two guys in their early 20s that liked rock and roll, working at a Tower Records. And he was just my friend, Rob. Rob, how you doing today? Hello, bonjour. I'm doing, I'm doing very, very well. I'm sitting here in an apartment in Paris, drinking a beer, ready to catch up with you. I, I, uh, I miss those Tower Records days. And in fact, I have a lot of photographic evidence of young, young Rick and Rob uh, in the art room, sniffing markers, uh, <laughs> and God knows what else. But those, those were uh, very good times. Um, I might ask you for some of the, that photographic evidence for when we post this episode. Um, sure. <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, you're in Paris. You're our first uh, international guest. Mm. Uh, no, no, that's incorrect. Uh, Suzanne de Rocher Romero was in Canada. So I withdraw that. I fucked that up. <laughs> <laughs> what else that's is okay. new on this podcast? Um, but yeah, you recently got the green light to uh, reconnect with your fiance that lives in France. What's that like during a pandemic to travel internationally? Because I'm not fucking doing it. Yeah, no, it was, it was honestly, it was terrifying leading up to the moment and very uh, nerve wracking. But honestly, it was pretty smooth. Um, yeah, I mean, the pandemic hit. I, I'm engaged to somebody that lives in Paris. I live in Los Angeles normally. And um Every several months, we'd uh, come and hang out for a long period of time, and the pandemic kind of kept us apart for 21 months, so ah, almost two years, damn. which is kind of insane, but that is the true, uh, true uh, uh, test there, um, and as soon as, I mean, they're not able to go to the U.S. yet, because uh, the rules are, the rules don't make sense to me, to be honest, but uh, if you're fully vaccinated, you're able to get out here, and so I am, and I was, um, and I mean, it's an 11 hour flight, so that's scary being on a plane. But the irony is you're wearing a mask the whole time, uh, swapping it out every four hours. Uh, you're in a, I guess they filter the air on the actual plane. You need to have either a vaccination card or a negative test to get on the plane. Uh, so the flight itself was fairly safe. It was just, you know, the, it's the four hours in the airport where you're hoping <laughs> everyone stays away from you. But uh it was, it was weird. I mean, look, it's a surreal time. I don't know if you and I will ever see anything like this again in our lives. And I, hope I we fucking well hope not. And um, it's, I mean, it's, it's insane just being in a completely different country and seeing how they handle it. I mean, people in LA have been, at least the parts of LA I live in, have been taking it fairly seriously. But I mean, like everyone's wearing a mask here uh, out, outdoors um, and seems to be taking it seriously. So I don't know, man. I just, uh, you know, love is a very uh, important thing to get us through difficult times. And so I just wanted to be here. So I'm here for the summer. Absolutely. And that's a beautiful thing. And luckily you live in an era where if you are apart, you can still communicate 
somewhat frequently. It's not like you're writing a letter in the post, sealing it with your wax seal, yeah. and then it maybe <laughs> arrives three months later. It's like, my darling, my thoughts turned to you as I awoke this morning <laughs> in your freshly dipped fucking quill. So you, it, it's, it's, it's not great, but it's slightly better at least. I, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think just being, being with your partner in difficult times. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, look, it's just been, it's just been a hard year for everybody like pandemic aside. And it's like, I just had a lot of difficulties. You know, I lost my father, unfortunately losing a parent my, is, is my condolences. Awful. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think you reached out to me when it happened and I did. you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of hard work uh, making anything creative uh podcast a film just writing something and putting yourself out there so it's like analog love took me six years which i never thought it would and um it's a little bit bittersweet that it's coming out now but at the same time you know as you can attest i think music makes us all happy um i can always turn to music for anything and even the sad bastard songs we love yeah i mean that there's comfort in that and uh I think uh, right now is a good time to remind people that how, how powerful music can be. And I do, you know, I mean, now, now I'm in PR mode, but it's like, that's kind of the whole point of the movie was like, that's, that's what connects us. It's, it's a beautiful film and I'm very thankful you, you sent me a link so I could check it out ahead of time. Uh, But we're going to bookend it with the music and we're going to kind of take it back to the beginning. Cause when we met, Back in the day, it, the, the, the love of the music was there. And we didn't really discuss horror, at least not that I recall too much back in those days. It was a lot of music. I'm in my early 20s. I'm grieving my, the loss of my own father. And also, mm-hmm. you know, as a horny 20-something, trying to chase women. So we didn't talk about horror too much. But I knew while you were doing your band thing, you also had a website uh, about horror. So, so how did your love of horror cultivate or or compel you to start making it a bigger creative part of your life i mean look it's all accidental to be honest and i think that's the the i mean that's the honest truth the the key is though is i think you just follow you follow the things that uh you're passionate about that make you happy because that's what doesn't feel like work and so course we ended up at record stores because we're young guys and we love music and and i don't know about you but when i was in my 20s i thought tower records was the coolest possible job you can get in the world and then when i got that job and i was a cashier and they they stuck me in the world department for a little while they, they always gave you like a section that you just didn't know anything about and that was cool because then i met like the guys in the jazz room and like started to appreciate you start meeting people that are where their thing is jazz and world music and all this other stuff and it just opens up your perspective to the different types of things that people love in the world. And eventually and the thing that really, you know, I, started, I was an artist, I grew up loving comic books and drawing. And so as soon as I found out that Tower Records had like a store artist that would recreate the album covers, I was like, well, that's my dream job. That's what I really want to be. So I, I, I vied my way into that position eventually with our mutual friend and previous guest, Jay Alvino. Right. Um, and it so. helped get you away from customers. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. That, I mean, that was the key, was to get away from customers as quickly as possible. I, like, I'm back here doing this thing, and then when it's done, <laughs> I'll hang it up and go back into my little hole where I control the music yeah. and create the next thing 
to be seen. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, customers aren't bad. I mean, it's like any place. I, yes. I liked, I worked in video for a while. That video, uh, and that's the funny thing, because I, I always, every couple of years, I gravitate back, back and forth between movies and music, the, my two big loves. And it was like working in the video department before the arts department was a dream, because uh, you get to put on after 10 o'clock we could we could throw on a rated r movie now and uh kind of dictate what everyone is forced to watch um but you know the long answer to your question is is you just kind of follow what you love and and while i was working at tower records with you i was in a band i was trying to do the musician thing and i had gone back to school for computer graphics and web design because that was kind of the rage in the early 2000s and um I finished it, a course, and I couldn't get a job. So I was like, well, I need to use these skills somehow. So I was like, well, I'll, I'll practice with a website. And naively, I just decided, I just, I just met my friend, Mike Cucinata, who I ended up creating Icons of Fright with. And um, I was just like, oh, let's, let's do a horror site because him and I had been going to some of the, like the chiller shows that were conventions that were happening in Jersey. And part of it was, purely selfish we we would get up to the counter or whatever we get up to the table to meet some horror icon celebrity and our interaction would be like hey how are you doing great how are you cool bye <laughs> and we were just like how can we make that last just a little bit longer <laughs> how can we ask them about that obscure 80s comedy that nobody talks about anymore and it, it all just kind of came together organically naturally because it seemed like it'd be fun to all right well i need to figure out how to build a website from scratch we both love horror movies. You have to remember this is 2004. There, there wasn't, there, social media barely existed if at all. And there wasn't a glut of places to find it. And now the genre is, you know, cult cinema and horror is a very uh, hip thing, so to speak. But you, you really felt like you found one of your own when you just discover, even a customer coming in and you start talking about Argento movies. It's like, you know who Dario Argento is from Italy? You know Italian horror? And um, there, there's there's a kind of an addictive quality to finding a kindred spirit like that. And that's basically what the website was born out of. And again, just out of, just for fun. And through doing that, it led to everything else because I learned, what I learned a lot about was the interview process, which again, I'm sure you, the more you do podcasts, little little unspoken things you can't be taught that just jive with your personality and style kind of emerge where you figure out, um, I don't know how to, how to engage with people and get the best stories out of them. Like the stuff, be sincerely engaged and interested in what they're telling you and the lives they've led. And that's the thing is like a lot of these people, especially in the genre movies have done some really fascinating, interesting stuff and interviewing people led straight into document documentaries because uh, I, I started, I did the Psycho Legacy, which was my own documentary. And also just, I started networking and connected with a lot of the guys that do behind the scenes or bonus features for Blu-rays and DVDs. And so I've worked on hundreds of those. I, I, I know, because after Tower, I, I was, uh, I've always been a technological income poop. I only went to social media when I started doing improv and need to promote shows mm. uh, in a roundabout way uh, you're at least kind of influential in spooky doings becoming a podcast 
uh, and I'll get to that in a second. But you know, as as I started to build relationships with people of some renown, it's like I want to talk to them. Maybe I could do a podcast, but I didn't want to be one of those people that had an idea and never did it. Yeah, <laughs> and then would look back and go, you know what? I have that idea, but I don't know. no, fuck, do it. Do it what great things we can accomplish if we're not afraid of failing. But yeah, yeah. In, in losing touch with you and many other people by not being on social media one day, and I don't know if you remember me emailing you after this, I picked up a copy of His Name Was Jason, that oh, documentary. Yeah, yeah. And then I see you, and I think it's pretty sure it's Mike, on there talking, yes. and, and I have the, the Rick Dalton moment of pointing at the screen, like, I know that fucking guy. <laughs> Yeah. No, his name was Jason. Was uh, that was kind of the beginning because it was, it was the first. Well, first of all, I love the Friday Thirteenth movie. Second of all, who doesn't? They they were shooting a lot of that both in L.A. and New York because a lot of people from you know the first whatever three or four movies were shot on the East Coast, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people that were in them still lived on the East Coast, and so they asked me not only to participate as Icons of Fright, and it was the first time that Mike and I had gotten credit as Icons of Fright, which I think was the first time our our brand or our website was uh, legitimate legitimized um but yeah they they i i i had it i did all the interviews in new york so i interviewed betsy palmer from uh the original um and it was a lot of fun oh, that was, that, mama yeah she was she was wonderful what what like like hollywood royalty like the stories that she would tell especially when the cameras were off like <laughs> you know but um yeah, that was his name was Jason. It was kind of the beginning of all of that. That was definitely what planted the seed, not only for bonus features, but I think the psycho legacy for sure. Yeah, because uh, you know after that started looking up a little bit, you're hosting or co-hosting seventy eight different kinds of fucking podcasts on numerous fucking topics, and then it's like, oh, Rob made a fucking documentary, the psycho mm-hmm. legacy, and. I got it. I'm looking at the DVD over there. And so what what was it about Psycho? Not just the original, which is what usually gets most of the focus. Yeah. And most of the retrospective work. Why all four did you think to yourself, this is what I want to make a movie about and explore all of that? Because with well, all of the with all the focus on the original, like what more can you uncover that somebody hasn't already uncovered uh, already? And then yeah. the, the I don't want to say lesser known, but not as legendary sequels, which, you know, are pretty damn good as far as the age yeah. of the slasher goes. Yeah, well, I mean, it was exactly that. There's, there's plenty of material on the original Psycho, and I love it. I mean, Hitchcock's one of my favorite filmmakers, favorite say? director. <laughs> Yeah, Psycho is one of my favorite movies. And really it was, you know, this was the era, DVD special features were pretty big at that moment in time. And I think at that point, you know, I think Friday 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, all the big franchises had already gotten their due, meaning they'd already gotten special editions and all that. And I noticed that Psycho 2, 3, and 4 would just keep getting kind of knocked out just as is. And the only one that ever got attention was the first one. And that's fine. I mean, I love any any stuff to do with the first one, but I grew up, I'm, I'm a lot, you know, I was older than the Psycho generation. I grew up on the sequels. And to me, I was fascinated. I mean, you could probably make a case for it now, things have changed, but 
the fact that like here's a guy who Anthony Perkins who he's Norman Bates there's just no separating this actor from that character and not only did he play him in this legendary movie but he came back 22 years later I, I was trying to like think of another example at that time of any actor reprising their role <laughs> 20 some odd years later. I mean, now, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis did it, et cetera. But at that moment, I couldn't think of anybody other than Anthony Perkins. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, when when those came out, looking back now, uh, you can kind of guess that slashers are popular. Let's bring back the granddaddy of them all all with that star and capitalize on that. So years later, like this is my own little theory for the most part, with a few notable exceptions. If you take more than four years to get to a sequel, what's really the fucking point other than mm. a nostalgic cash grab, which this may have started out as, but it definitely got a new generation of slasher kids that love VHS to go, okay, yeah, we can dig this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the, the thing was, first of all, sequels were not because I've had a lot of conversations with Tom Holland who wrote it and he's been a good friend ever since I did Psycho Legacy and we always get for some reason we always fall back and I always get little tiny tidbits that I hadn't heard before and I think you have to remember in 1982 sequels weren't a thing yet like they were just starting with Jaws 2 and Omen 2 and things of that sort and also remakes weren't really a thing. So, I mean, if you look at the structure of Psycho 2, it's technically meant to be a remake. <laughs> it's a remake sequel. Yeah, mm. it's a sequel, but it's meant to be a standalone movie. Like you don't need to see the first movie to know that, okay, this guy was a murderer and he got out of jail and that's that. But what's beautiful is it works beautifully as a sequel because there is no guarantee that Perkins was gonna come back. Um, now I never confirmed it, but I, I'd heard crazy things like if Perkins said no, Christopher Walken was somebody they were thinking of, etc. But um, Tom had always been like, no, they wouldn't have done it. They they would have found it impossible to do without Perkins. So I don't think that was legitimate. Um, all the the Mary choices are very interesting. Uh, I love Meg Tilly. I think she's terrific in that movie. But hearing like um, Carrie Fisher. Um, who else uh, came in? Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was a fa- a favorite because Janet Lee. That makes was, sense. Uh, but because she had done Halloween already, they felt like, oh, maybe that's too too much cross pollination. But um, no, I, I love the sequel. And again, Perkins directed three. I thought that yeah. was interesting. I'd never heard anything about. It. He directed that and directed one other movie called Lucky Stiff, which is really weird. It's a bizarre black comedy that I don't think works. Now I haven't seen it since I was a young man. I would love to watch it now because I feel I would probably get it now because <laughs> Perkins strikes me as a incredible intellectual and his kind of dark humor. I mean, the, the coolest thing I learned about Psycho 3, the one he directed, and I, I dare and defy the audience to do this double feature because it's perfect. His favorite movie at the time was Blood Simple. He fucking loved the Coen brothers and he got the same composer he had a cast and crew screening before they started Psycho 3 of Blood Simple, being like, this is the movie I'm trying to emulate. So if you do a double feature of Blood Simple and Psycho 3, they you will be surprised how much they match up in lighting, in music, in everything, because that was that was what he was kind of going for. I may, so I may have to I may have to do Anthony Perkins to me, and you know, never met the man, I don't know him personally, but seeing like 
those pre-psycho photos of him just being a young actor seems like the kind of guy who'd be like your really smart uh, uncle that you care about and have a rapport with. But every once in a while would just say some really weird shit that would make, would make you go, okay. <laughs> and then you <laughs> go on with, uh, like, okay, pass the potatoes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he died when I was very young, but but the stories I've gotten from people like Tom Holland is that he was incredibly intellectual, like probably the smartest guy in the room uh, anytime he was there. And, um, you know, event, look, the, the biggest compliment I got is, you know, the movie Psycho Legacy came out, it was on DVD. Um, I was working at Amoeba uh, mm-hmm. in Hollywood, which is basically Tower Records. <laughs> uh, and it was an odd experience working there. Like I worked Tower in my 20s and I worked Amoeba in my 30s. And it was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm literally, I'm the only one that got older. It's all the same cast of characters. <laughs> like there's the metalhead, there's like, uh-huh. the, you know, the, it was just, it was so bizarre. Um, but the point being is I was off one day and, and I had very little interaction with his son, Oz Perkins, but we've emailed and met once or twice. But he came in and bought it and he sent me a really lovely email afterwards saying, oh, I really love the doc. And he he was at, you know, there's footage of Anthony Perkins from a weekend of horror show in it that my friend Guy Thorpe provided, which I thought brought it all together. And uh, his son was like, oh, I was there. And it was uh, it was a pleasant surprise seeing that footage again. And, uh, you know, Ain't that so. sweet. it's a family. Affair. So do you got yeah. a favorite? Of, of the, of the movies? Movies? yeah. I think the I think the original is kind of mm-hmm. like you can't top that. But if we're talking sequels, I I go back and forth. I mean, I love them all equally, but I go back and forth between two and three. I like, I gotta I I think with those sequels, I think two is a better movie. But being raised Catholic and having a nun that leaves uh, the convent attempt suicide and when she sees mrs bates in her delirium interprets it to be the virgin mary that that hits a chord in me like a little bit differently than it than it might hit most it's Uh, yeah it's got it's got a weird it's such a bizarre movie that's what i love about it is it's so freaking weird basically it's psycho but you know the twist he's redoing the first movie mm -hmm. but we know that norman's crazy already and um there's no, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And I, I and Matt props for four, because I remember that was an event. It was a Showtime original movie. I love, I thought Henry Thomas is excellent as young Norman Bates. Very good. Hussey as mother. Yeah, I was, I've um, been watching Bly Manor recently and I just got to the one episode where Henry Thomas is, I don't know if you saw it, is talking to himself a lot. So it has very much of a psycho for David Lynch vibe. Yeah. in those scenes and who doesn't love Alicia Hussey and fucking everything and you gotta give it up she's to see. Juliet <laughs> well, well, well for me uh, I gotta love Black Christmas but also CCH yes. Pounder is a bad motherfucker and everything oh yeah I love her yeah yeah she's great in that movie so yeah it's great it's great stuff okay so before we get to your next documentary which took a while to get to remember mm-hmm. listening to you on all the podcasts and whatever uh, mostly for the guest i wouldn't listen to every episode but if you were interviewing people especially people i was a fan of like jordan peele it's like all right i want to listen to that episode but you and your co-host would spend like an hour before even getting into the interview talking about what you've been watching and what you've been liking and your 
here's here's going to be a tough question. It sounded like you're the type of person, at least based on what I listened to, that likes everything. So, Rob, what don't you like in horror? No, there's uh, what there's are some of I the movies that have pissed you off? Let me tell you, there's a lot I don't like these days. Uh, I <laughs> well, I'm not the, the I'll be candid with you. I haven't watched. I haven't seriously watched new genre material in at least a year and a half. Um, part of it is, honestly, I think the pandemic is, first of all, I've been watching these movies my whole life. Um, and again, like I said, every couple of years, I go back and forth. When I start getting sick of music and playing in bands and all that stuff, then I kind of rekindle my love with you know, film and genre. When I start getting sick of genre and film, I go and do another album. So it's kind of a back and forth. Um, but no, the pandemic's just too bleak. I remember when it's when we started lockdown, everybody was watching like Contagium, and I'm like, why? And the stand. I'm like, this is the last two movies. I want to watch. You know what I did? I watched like I went back and like revisited all of Jim Carrey's movies, like things okay. that just brought me joy mm-hmm. back in the 90s growing up. Um I, I'm the sick motherfucker that was watching the crazies remake <laughs> and and yeah. watching Alien and Jaws through the through the the eyes of a pandemic i'm like see see all the warnings are there we just have to do the opposite of what's happening in the movie and we're going to be okay well i'll give you the difference between me from whatever three four five years ago versus now and i think this is an age thing is i don't ever want to not like a movie um the whole point is to be entertained i just i and that was always when it came to anything i wrote journalistically you know for mm-hmm. websites or the podcasts that i did or whatever i there's there's just way too much negativity out in the world and there's way too many people to tell you what sucks and what they don't like and it's like just a waste of energy it's like i'd rather tell you about what i liked and what i you know i just remember when when i was in long island with you you know i'd go to the movies there and people would come out and just like there i overhear the review that sucked it's like what about it sucks it just sucks everything and i'm like everything you didn't like a single scene or piece of music or certain person's performance or there's nothing at all that you enjoyed about that you spent ten dollars you mean to tell me for that ten dollars there's not a single thing you enjoyed the days when movies cost ten (laughs) dollars well i mean i guess it's more now 17 i don't know but um i i mean i i i am a hopeful optimist that it goes into every movie hoping that there'll be the one especially with the genre like you hope there is, no matter how boring some old obscure Spanish movie is, as long as there's one awesome kill, you're like, oh man, you have to see it because it's got this one thing in it that's just amazing that I've never seen anything else. Um, but now, now I don't have the patience. <laughs> hey, that's that, the patience. That that's that's fair, and that's a that's a good way to get through a rough time. It's like let's let's focus on the positive because there's a a shit ton of negative happening out there no and and the hit by the way and the hit the thing that i've enjoyed in the pandemic is the history the history of film is so so expansive and diverse it's like you know i was catching up on buster keaton movies and i love jackie chan but i'd never seen a lot of his early things you know i i went through the entire zatoichi series um (laughs) you know i mean there's there's so much out there and it's like there's just some you know, there's been, I don't mean to critique the genre now because whatever, but it's like, it seems like the genre, <laughs> I'll be a little catty, I guess. It seems like the genre is like a really good short 
idea stretched out to 90 minutes. And I just don't have the patience for that anymore. Well, that makes sense. And yeah, the, the, the convenience of streaming when you're yeah. locked in and I started uh, posting every movie that I watched since uh, the lockdown began and I had uh, the Rona. Um, a lot of them were just like, you know what? I've never watched this before. Now's the time. There, I like the first one. I never saw Deep Red before. It's on Shutter. Now is the time to watch it. And yeah. there, there were other movies where it's like, I've never seen this before. I should watch it. And some of those I regretted. And some of those like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wish I had watched that sooner. And then others, it's like, okay, I never watched this because of the controversy like i think maybe the third or fourth film was the last temptation of christ and i'm like the controversy here should be harvey Keitel playing judas iscariot and all i hear <laughs> is mr white yeah <laughs> like, like we, we put jesus in the tomb but we gotta call joe joe will call a doctor he'll be fine by sunday that kind of <laughs> Yeah, context, man. That was a that was a moment in time for Scorsese, you know. Yeah, but bring it back to uh, kind of getting a little, little like leaving the genre over here and going over to the musical mistress, which is cool. That brings us to years after Psycho Legacy, you make another movie, Analog Love, and I'd see you post about it. Uh, either as you were doing it when when (laughs) yeah or either as you were doing it or um uh like when you thought like the moment was right because you know like there's a picture of my friend rob with one of my great heroes henry rollins and i'm like wait a second he's talking about mixtape with henry rollins yeah that's that's a mini series right there (laughs) and watching the movie like i can only imagine how much you had to cut going through his archives because i've heard him talk about it on his podcast on spoken word shows on different documentaries things like flyers and shit that he keeps in little sleeves that he's like no like someone has to preserve this he's he's never he's never thrown out a single item in his entire life it's 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 honestly I you I mean you would call it a hoarder, but he's so neat that it's not that. Right. It's just a, it's a very unique thing. He's got a temperature controlled room for all his <laughs> media, um, which is where we shot his interview because mm-hmm. all his tapes were in there. Um, he, I mean, he's a great guy. I I love. I, I mean, I'm like you. I grew up. He's one of my heroes, and getting to spend time with him was pretty amazing. Um, and honestly, we could just, we could have, once once we got, you know, we shot a few things here and there, mainly with my Amoeba coworkers, like my former mm-hmm. manager. And sorry, that, that was because I'm a big fan for anyone that wants to make films, because again, it's not glamorous, you're on your own. I mean, this is every weekend for the last six years is how this happened, not because not, no one has ever come to me and given me money and said, hey, go create something. It's always been on my own and through sheer will, which is why it took so long, because Psycho Legacy took the freaking life out of me. And there was no reward at the end of it. I mean, yes, the reward was the movie and hopefully people liked it, but you know, it put me so far in debt that you're kind of like, what's the point of all this? (laughs) Um, But it's because you can't think of anything else. And um, Joe Madry, who wrote Analog Love um, and has also done, he did an excellent documentary called uh, Nightmares in Red, White and Blue, which is based on his book of the same name. I haven't and watched that was, one yet. I might get to it. <laughs> you should. It's 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 excellent. It's very, very excellent. He gets all the masters of horror guys and he gets great stuff out of all of them. But 
Um, Joe and I had met and we became friends and he was uh, talking to me about documentary ideas and most of them revolved around horror. And I was just like, you know what? I just don't, it's too much. I just, it's, it's too, too much a part of my life. And I, I don't want to spend another three years. I was optimistic because that's how long a cycle I was doing. But I can't spend another three years on another documentary about some sort of horror subject. And somewhere along the lines, it, it boiled down to we're, we're a couple years apart, but not much. So it boiled down to that I was a Nirvana guy and he was a Pearl Jam guy. Okay. And I'm like, oh, you're a Pearl Jam guy because you're like a year younger than me. That's why, because I noticed well, in, that little. <laughs> in your defense, you were also at the Unplugged performance. I was. Which I, was. I remember when I heard that story, my like, my jaw just fucking dropped. I was like, what? I, yeah, I was lucky. I was the, as a teenager, I was the Forrest Gump of uh, the Tower Records world, and somehow ended up at Nirvana Unplugged. But they've always been my favorite band, and I just, I again. I willed, I feel like I willed myself into that experience because I just love them so much that of course I had to end up at that show. Not, not knowing the importance not knowing. of it because no. yeah, you're, I'm 16 at the time. I don't know. I didn't think, and I saw them live. And again, I always contextualize it because they were, they, that show taped in November. Uh, it was Thanksgiving. It was November of 93 and Kurt was gone. April, By April 94. 94. Yeah. Like what? Four or five months later, he's, dead like it was crazy but um i digress joe and i got in a big um big big i wouldn't call it an argument it was just a friendly debate about music and we both challenged each other we made a mix for each other and the rule was you have to make me a pearl jam mix i have to make you nirvana mix no singles has to be anything but singles to prove who's who's the better band (laughs) and so we named them i I named mine the case for nirvana and he named his the case for pearl jam um, I don't know if either of us officially won, but because of that, it got us on this whole tangent of mix making and how much we love that process and what it meant. And not just with each other, like here's two guys that are just getting to know each other that are specifically trying to express like this, what these bands mean to them. And then on a grander sense, then you start talking about all the mixes you've made for girls, for people that have meant something to you, you know friends that you want to turn on, be bandmates, et cetera. And, and that was the moment that I was like, well, this I'll spend three years on. <laughs> I, I'll gladly do a mixtape documentary. And also just like, just like Icons of Fright, I, I figured, okay, well, this gives me an excuse to, now I have a reason to reach out to Henry Rollins, which I didn't have before, to ask him if he'd like to be in this documentary or Kim Shattuck from the Muffs. Like mm-hmm. they were all my list of heroes, Money Mark from the Beastie Boys. Yeah. So they're all people I love. And I was like, it gave me an excuse. Yeah, and like noticing the people and you put like, you know, like a music aficionado, a record store employee. I'm like, these are Rod's friends that he's putting in his movie. And you can tell (laughs) that they're the music lovers. And recently during the pandemic, again, thanks to you knowing your love of uh, Pretend We're Dead, the L7 documentary. So finally, very late to the party, I became an L7 fan. So seeing that, and there was also Joe, I don't know how to pronounce his last name from one line drawing, and Far remembering oh, Jonah, Jonah Matraga, yeah. Yeah. Back in the day it, it at Tower, that Water and Solutions album was in constant rotation. And it's like, oh, yeah. we all love this band. Nobody else knows who the fuck they are. So now we're we know the secret and we're kind of the gatekeepers, and we can put that on mixtapes as well. 
which is awesome that you became friendly with someone that you were a fan of. That's always a good feeling when it's like, here's somebody whose art I really love and I can fire them a stupid text of some dumb meme at any hour of the day just because they're my pal. But what I, what I found very amusing in the documentary, and it's a big part of it, is you uh, teaching uh, the daughter of one of your friends about the purpose of a mixtape and she's very fucking confused in a very hilarious life like you did this stuff and now we have to find a car to ride around in with a tape player so we can find out how we did but she's not dismissive about it which which is is cool and heartwarming she's making this tape for her dad and it's like okay this this is what you all did back before I was even an itch in his pants. And okay, let, take me along this journey, old person. Let's see what we got. So what, so was the Pearl Jam, Nirvana, a great mix off that much of an impetus or how did the, the, the young lady get involved in the process of like, come, come to me, young student. Let me show you what we did when, when phones had cords and lived on the wall. <laughs> Uh, well, that's that's Hazel, uh, Hazel Manny. Um, I want I want to be respectful. She she refers to herself, her. She's not herself. She's they. She they yes, as they. I apologize. Um, I'll refer to her as they going forward. Sure. Um, no, she uh, they uh, is the daughter of of my friends Trey and Jen. The the interesting thing, like here's the thing about documentary filmmaking. It's it's one of the things I love about it is you have a blueprint and you hope that the film will turn out like that blueprint is but along the way it just wants it wants to change it wants to be something else and so we interviewed um we interviewed hazel's father trey first because he's a friend of mine and, and he was a music booking agent he's also a drummer um you know um he's in, he's in a band called low tom which is great and um I started with him and then his story literally led to his wife because they have a, a beautiful relationship of how they really solidified their relationship over a mix. Mm-hmm. And we, we actually shot a little piece with Trey and Hazel, which is in the opening of the film, uh, where it's the first mixtape as we refer to it. And it was just, I don't know, it was just a natural idea. Now, an entire version of the movie existed without any of the Hazel stuff. <laughs> um, we cut it together. It was great. It was mostly talking heads. And the problem is, from our perspective of our age group, we know what mixtapes are and it makes sense. And it's appealing to us. It's all interesting and funny finding out what, what songs people use, what type of tape they use, etc. But something felt like it was missing. And to credit my producer, Buzz, who's also the cameraman, he just thought there was something in that two minutes with Hazel in the beginning that was kind of special. Um, and again, it was it was the fact that she didn't uh, she wasn't dismissive of the whole process. She was actually curious. Uh, they were actually curious. And so we it's OK to slip as long as you try. <laughs> that, that's what we, I that's how I've been instructed. <laughs> yes. And so I, I asked Hazel if she was comfortable if I came over for a day and 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 did it for real, because, of course, in the opening of the film, it's it's kind of like we're setting up that we're going to make a mix and, you know, we didn't actually do it. Uh, but um, 
yeah, they, everybody was open to it. And what was interesting about it was that's when we found the heart and soul of the movie. Because <laughs> now through the perspective of a, at the time, 15 year old, you can see, you can, you can, people our age already know what it is. You could explain it through, through, through Hazel's perspective. And I really, once we shot that day, we also, you know, not to spoil it, we got our ending that day, <laughs> like clear as day when we shot it, we we're like, well, that's the ending of the movie right there. Uh, so when people see it, I think they'll understand that that really, again, it was a fine, fine documentary on its own. Um, a little too talky, but really it was that. And, and, you know, that's sometimes that's the process is you get, you get lucky and you get a little magic and you, you, the thing, one of the compliments I got from, I can't remember, I think it was somebody that was in the documentary that saw it early was you actually captured what it feels like to make a mix for somebody. <laughs> like the feeling of it, not explaining this is a TDK tape and it's so cool and retro and that's why we did it. No, the feeling is represented. And that was the whole point is it's, yeah. I mean, I, I'll tell you one funny side story Please. is that I very, I was very close. I think it would have happened if I didn't run out of time and money, but I, I got in touch through mutual friends with, Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Discord Records, who I loved. And I strongly wanted to shoot with him. But more importantly, as you know, most of it's talking heads, but then the last 20, 30 minutes is pairs. It's father and daughter, father and son, husband and wife, different pairs of people. I really wanted to get Ian and Henry together because I thought, because Henry says, I've been making mixes with him since we were kids and I still mm -hmm. talk music with him. And I'm like, I forget punk legends just childhood friends, friends that still make mixes for each other now in their 50s the talking about yeah. like oh yeah i made you this one because i wanted you to hear this track specifically exactly. it, it, and i it, love that they still do thing. that so I, I tried to get them together it just didn't it didn't work out but i got to talk to um to ian which was great pleasure and uh and he and basically he it was funny because he was um questioning the way I was shooting things and putting it together. He saw the trailer and a couple of scenes, I think, and was just like, well, it feels like you're trying to manipulate emotions. And I was like, I was like, dude, I hate to break it. That's, it's a movie. That's, that's, that's the whole point of a movie. <laughs> I was like, that's filming. I was like, this isn't a three minute song. I don't know if I would have had the courage at 16 to mm -hmm. say that to him, but, but it was, oh, I was, I was very, I was like, dude, it's my vision. It's how it's, I'm trying to capture the feeling of it. It, and, and what was funny was he just said he wasn't nostalgic about it. And I'm like, but that, but you telling me you're not nostalgic about it is, is part of the, that story because Henry definitely is, <laughs> you know, so. It, it was a great movie. Again, thank you for, for letting me watch it. A uh, little, 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 little bit of, uh, of backstory because, you know, I reveal even my dumb, dumb moments. So, you know, write reviews <laughs> of all the new movies I put up there and, then after somebody comment like, hey, where can I see it? You're like, Rick kind of jumped the gun and I emailed you. I'm like, should I have not done that? Do you need me to delete it? And you're like, me? No, but yeah, it wouldn't be a bad idea. So boop, okay, gone, cool. But yeah, I did enjoy the shit out of it. And, 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 and my Facebook is private. So it's like nobody outside my circle of friends are seeing anything, well, but. No, the funny, look, it's a funny story only because literally it's like you and several of my other friends have been asking me, when the hell can I see this movie? And, and literally, as soon as you posted it, one of those other friends that I worked with at Tower Records is like, when can I see this movie? <laughs> so it was more of a, 
all right, I promise it's coming like literally within a few weeks that I can't announce. And now, now we can, it's obviously mm-hmm. will be out when people hear this, I hope. Um, so that's, exciting. oh, and, and the unedited, um, I think it's like 15 minutes, the unedited tour of Henning Rollins mixtapes is on as a bonus feature on the Blu-ray. Because, yeah, you just, I mean, I, feel- I literally could have just made a movie of his footage because He's that entertaining and engaging. Uh-huh. And, and, and you can tell, again, listening to this guy speak since I first heard about him in 92 fuck But just like, <laughs> you can tell he chooses his words very carefully, but he doesn't um or huh. He's, he's got them there. He's going through his own personal lexicon very quickly to make sure he's getting his point across so succinctly. And if you try to make him repeat himself, it, it, that's a you problem, not a him problem. <laughs> yeah. But well, it, let me ask you as, as yes. a Henry Rollins fan, because here's something that I'm really also very happy about or proud of, if you will, is I've also been a fan of him for a long time. I've seen him in tons of interviews. I've seen his special and all that. I was shockingly surprised um, how candid and vulnerable he was with us. I had never really heard him talk in a very candid, intimate way about uh, about wooing females with mixtapes and things of that sort. So uh, I think it's a I think it's a little maybe even a fraction of a side of Henry that people have never seen before is in our um, movie. Again, again, being being an an uber fan following the music, the spoken word career, uh, his foray into podcasting, uh, the numerous books. It's a more, it's, it's an unguarded version of that. Like it's all there. Cause we've all made mixed tapes for people, uh, whether it was, you know, like fellow tower art room, Denizen Raz, I'd get into something, I'd poke my head in the door. Hey Raz, uh, make me a method man mix. And he'd be like, okay pad comes out and then he jumped down and the sequencing was important to like you know the the young lady uh that that uh, you want to convey your feelings for but maybe you're shy so it's like we'll let this person do it and uh spoiler alert for you know my upcoming 21st anniversary was a 90 minute Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds mix presented to my beautiful lady. And here we are so long later. So thanks, Nick Cave. Do you still have that mix, the Nick Cave one? She has the mix. In in fact, fact, after watching the movie, she went to a box and pulled out mixtapes that I had made her. And she's like, okay, so the next time we're we're cooking something for a long period of time we're going to put one of these on yeah. and take a a sonic stroll down memory lane because let, let's be yeah the convenience of of the boop and the algorithm that's one thing but computers don't know what we love as as much as the the painstaking detail because even when you're there with hazel and you're explaining to them it's like okay we fucked up and this song got cut off in the middle we need Uh. to redo it (laughs) and rework it 
I'd always cheat with like my mixtapes uh, and when I'd get to the end because a lot of those soundtracks would have those snippets of movie dialogue oh yeah perfect. and like that's what I'd put towards the end of the tape because like it's too long that you should just start fast forwarding there but you know if I could put Ezekiel 25 17 yeah or uh something like that towards the end of it that that always helped fade it out and then look it over and on to the new one so that was my cheating method well you need to you need to take photos in particular of the nick cave mix and post it along with this episode because i would like to see the track listing and i got to tell you this is this is my favorite thing about even doing like even when i just mention the project to people in passing almost every single person will start a mixtape story oh i remember i made so and so mix or i remember getting one and that's honestly what this was all about is I wanted people to share their stories and you're not the first person to tell me, Oh, when we finished it, we went and looked for our mixtapes. You know, it's a beautiful thing to me. So I appreciate that. I, I hope that the, the writing is still legible enough that I could take a photo <laughs> of it. it. It, it was in, you know, a hot car for a long time and then in a drawer somewhere for a longer time. So if yeah. it's leg- legible, I'll take a picture of it. If not, maybe, maybe just the cassette itself. I will say this uh uh the song straight to you uh it's a, it's a very kissy memory we'll just leave it oh. at that. <laughs> but yeah there, there there were numerous jams of uh for everybody we've all had them but like hey want to check out this music for your friend because it's awesome you're like you hand somebody else a tape like these are the i really want to have nasty sex with you jams tapes kind of things <laughs> my thing and I don't know if you remember this, because I had two mo- moods at Tower. I was either sad or I was angry. So all of my mixtapes were sad and angry, volume, whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> now you seem pretty upbeat to me. Uh, upbeat and angry. Therapy works. Therapy yeah, works, yeah. Rob. <laughs> so before we bring this in for a landing, we tell all the people uh, where and when you can see Analog Love. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, your producing of a movie. That I saw last Halloween oh, that I fucking yeah. loved. Lucky. And yeah. Shudder was was streaming a mystery movie at like 10 yeah. or 11 East Coast time. And it's like, okay, let's watch it. And I'm watching it and I enjoyed it. But, and this may be different now. It didn't have the title card at the beginning of the film when yeah. it screened on Shudder. So I'm enjoying it, but I don't know what the fuck it is until I got to the end of it. Yeah, that's it. That's a uh, director Natasha Kermani little trick is she doesn't put the title until the end <laughs> of, of all her films. If that's your style, that's your style. And it worked. And it was a beautiful mystery. But for for our listeners that have Shudder, and I mentioned Shudder a lot on this podcast, check this out. Um, it's like a slasher groundhog day or home invasion groundhog day is the best way I can think of it. But it's very lady driven. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm very, I'm very proud of that movie too. I mean, it's my one and only narrative movie as a producer. Um, How do you get involved in that one? Well, I was, I mean, the short version of it is I was working at Epic Pictures at that time as a director of acquisitions, and I was helping them build out their. They wanted to do a horror label um, based on Dread Central because they they had owned the website Dread Central, and. It was a bit of a challenge because I had I didn't really have experience in acquisitions at that moment, but I, I desperately wanted to do something in that part of the industry. Um, 
And the only angle I could find was, you know, I grew up, I grew up with Full Moon Video and Charles Band and Roger Corman movies on, on uh, you know, VHS. Um, just, I knew those guys would put out really weird movies, <laughs> really odd things that you would talk about. And it's really hard to stand out today. So almost immediately I knew, I knew we already had the films Terrifier and Hashtag Screamers. And um, I saw Natasha's first film, Natasha Kermani, who directed Lucky, also directed a film called Imitation Girl. And I mean, within five minutes, I was like smitten. I just saw, I just saw that she was like had a vision and it wasn't a, a tour. And I was looking at a director just getting started. And I just knew, I just knew, I sensed it in my bones. I was like, oh my God, who is this? Who made this? And I literally, it was just weird timing. She happened to be in LA because she lived in New York at that time. And we met the next day and that became my first acquisition was her first film, Imitation Girl. And we became instant close friends. And around the same time, uh, Adam Rifkin reached out to me saying, I have this Pendulette movie that nobody wants to put out. And yes. like, well, that sounds amazing to me. And so almost immediately by sheer just, you know, being in the right place at the right time, all these weird movies started coming to me and that became my vision for Dread. Now, Dread was always intended to be acquisitions, meaning uh, finished films that we picked up for distribution. But again, like everybody, I mean, I make documentaries on my own. I wanted to make a movie. And I, after, I want to say it was 24 movies in under two years. I mean, we put out one or two a month. It was in, insane. In, on top of special edition Blu-rays of all of them. You were plugging but, the shit out of them. And every time I mean, you post one, I'm like, well, I need to check that out. And one's like the Terrifier. Um, I'm, I'm. I've been a Penn and Teller fan for years. So as I heard about Penn working on this movie, I'm like, I need to watch it whenever it comes out. And that was one of the ones <laughs> that I ordered sight unseen. Like nice. ter Terrifier, I watched first. And, and David Howard Thornton was our first guest on this podcast. Oh, cool. Because I found out uh, he's roommates with an improv acquaintance of mine. And my reaction was, you live with that fucking guy? <laughs> an Alabama, have you seen him in that movie <laughs> an Alabama sweetheart of a man but yeah, yeah and, and, and so anytime you post some things like all right Rob gives it a stamp of approval it must be good I didn't always agree well, I had and, to we, yeah, we didn't have yeah. PR it's kind of like we have to pimp it any way we can um, but but the label did well enough that that at one point there was the discussion internally of trying to make an original um, we had a movie called The Golem, which I, I think is a pretty great movie. It's a um, good one. By the Paz brothers, these uh, Israeli brothers that have made a bunch of cool films. And, but they were, they were pretty much done with the movie. And I think my memory is we came on board to help them reshoot a beginning or whatever so that we could call it a Dread original. But we didn't really help make that from scratch. It was a movie that would have existed no matter what. But I wanted to make one from the ground up. We had very little money. We had very little time. We had very little anything, but it, it was, on, ironically enough, it was on a trip back from Paris a couple summers ago. I think it was 2018. Um, Bria Grant, who wrote it and starred in it, is a good friend of mine. I've known her since Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, so it's been 12, 15 years. I don't know. 
Um, but I've known her very well, and, and she's a great actress. She's a very talented um, writer, and I've read a lot of her stuff. She's got a very unique perspective, especially when it comes to genre. And uh, I asked her before I left for that trip, is there anything of yours I haven't read yet? And she's like, well, I just movie lucky, but nobody wants to make it. And I'm like, really? Well, send it my way. And I, I, it was one of those things where I, I read it and instantaneously was like, <laughs> we have to make this. Like, right, mm-hmm. like I knew I was like, Natasha's going to direct. Uh, Bria has to star because she wasn't, she wasn't, she kind of wanted to direct it. I think that was her original intention. She didn't feel that she could, she um, should star in it or carry that movie. But I was convinced that she had to be the lead. I was like, no, it has to be you. And 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 the bet my favorite element was um, Jeremy Zuckerman who did the score, because I was watching the MTV Scream series with uh, my fiance Alyssa, and that music is incredible. And as it was coming together, I was like, well, what the hell? I I think I reached out to him on Twitter, and he met us and agreed to do it. And so it was one of those very fortunate happy accidents that it all came together the way it did uh it's a metaphor i mean it's basically a metaphor movie it's a satire on slashers and i thought that's what was smart about it and uh i thought i thought everybody involved did an incredible job i'm very very happy with the final result and and again natasha and bria are on to bigger and better things and i couldn't be uh, more proud of them because they're really talented and deserve it so Uh, absolutely It, it is a wonderful thing when uh, I think our generation and the generation afterwards, very we, we champion our friends. We want to see them succeed. Whereas like older people, like when they see at least the people that I've uh, grown up around, um, when there's somebody who's succeeding a little bit more than they think they should tend to just shit on people. I'm like, no, I love it when my friends are doing something cool. So to bring us back, to uh, Director's Cut, which is a delightful, I talked about it on our uh, weirdo films that we love episode. Uh, Cause I listened to Penn Sunday School and I think I emailed you about this after I heard it. Penn was talking about some convention where he did a Q and A that you moderated with Adam Rifkin yeah. Yeah, and he yeah. had nothing but nice things to say about you. Now granted, uh, Penn doesn't have bad things to say about people unless he was on their reality game show and they served <laughs> as commander in chief. Yeah. But to be another person <laughs> that he said nice things about, I'm like, I know that guy. Good for Rob. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a wonderful experience. I, I was fortunate to see their, their show, Penn and Teller in Vegas. And because of director Scott, he, he, uh, he treated me like royalty when I showed up for that. So that was, that was wonderful. But um, but no, like you said, there's some, there's something that I just want to reiterate is that yes, it is, um, especially right now, it seems like uh, there's a lot of negativity out in the world, and um, this is getting anything accomplished from start to finish, whether it's film, podcast, piece of poetry, whatever it is, is so hard. It is next to impossible, and so when anyone does it, I think there's no reason not to advocate and celebrate it and. I just want good things to happen to good people. All the people I've worked with and helped have been good people and continue to be good people behind the scenes. And uh, I just want them all to succeed. Uh, and same, same for, you know, Analog Love was not like something I whipped up thinking, oh man, I bet I'll make a ton of money on this. I am not a successful person by any means, but I have the desire to, uh, the, you know, we're here for a very, again, 
uh, we talked off air about this, but I, you know, I lost my father uh, last year and it's like, we don't have a lot of time on this planet. And it's, um, it, it's I don't understand why your main goal wouldn't be to put positive things out there knowing that. Uh, so yeah. You ain't wrong, you ain't wrong. So, so what else you got coming down for the people out there? Uh, he said, knowing the answer to the question, but I'm not sure if you can talk about it yet. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I vaguely know what you're talking yeah. about. Uh, I don't really have it's, much of anything. I mean, I did, I did a, do music. Yes, yes, sonically speaking. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, during, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't have, I don't have a plan yet, but it's, I, I, great art comes from um, dark times or bad times or, you know, uh, lessons learned and uh, you know I had the, the worst uh, 2020 of my life for a lot of reasons but my good friend Christian James Hand who is in Analog Love is an incredible producer he hosts a show called The Session where he breaks down the elements of, of songs I find him on Instagram The Session IG he does it every day on Instagram Live and it is amazing and it also is incredibly inspiring it Song you don't like you will appreciate in a new way and he's a really beautiful guy and uh he saw that i was dealing with a lot of grief especially uh because of my father's death and uh encouraged me to get together with him to do music and before we knew it we recorded a 10 song album and uh don't know it's done i just don't know how when or or you know i just don't know when we'll put it out hopefully soon that's all right, because if you, if you follow Analog Love on all the things, when it's yes. time to announce that, people will know where to get it. And speaking yes. of knowing where to get it, when and where can people find Analog Love on all the things that you boop and, and physical media? Because <laughs> that's important. I, I, I'm still a big believer in that for the, for the essential things there are yeah. movies uh like terrifier and director's cut yeah you know it's on this streaming it's on that streaming but what about the day when i want to watch it and it's not <laughs> i will not be yeah. inconvenienced that way so essential things i'll still buy a physical copy of <laughs> just in case so yeah. where can people find that stuff Rob? well august 17th is the release date um to the best of my knowledge, it is it will be on uh, iTunes, Apple TV, Google Play, YouTube. I believe that's U.S. I probably U.K. Maybe Australia. No, Australia and New Zealand, in particular, are Vimeo on demand. Those are the services that will be available there. Rent to rent or buy digitally. Um, and we're working on other parts of the world. Uh, I went out of my way to produce a blu-ray because it's a movie about physical media that i believe should be on physical media and in the same way that i, I basically got everybody that uh produced all the dread blu-rays to do this for me um so the blu-ray also comes out it'll that's on amazon um and i believe amoeba in hollywood and san francisco will be carrying it as well and we will slowly filter it out and try to get it in a few other mom and pop record stores uh, it's important for me that they carry it. And I, I tried, you know, the Blu-rays got the movie for sure. Um, I tried to put some cool stuff on there, like the Henry Rollins thing and music videos from a lot of the people that are in the film, including Jonah Matraga. 
Um, so I think uh, I think there's enough stuff there to make it worth your while. And um, yeah, and that's it. I, and hopefully, um, I don't. I I was so disappointed we were going to do we were going to do an incredible. We had so many cool ideas for a festival run in 2020 that got completely canceled due to pan, to COVID. And one of them was like, you know, doing screenings with mixtape booths. Little records are going to contribute uh, CDs and tapes and things to, so you could literally sit there and make a mixtape if you really wanted to. And uh, we'll see how things pan out in the next couple of months. I'd still kind of want to do that. I, I would very much love to come to Long Island and show it. Uh, there's oh, yeah. one theater that I'm sure you know. And mm-hmm. if, if, if and when timing works out, I'll come out and we'll make a, a big event out of it. Because uh, I think the thing is, I showed it, I've only gotten to show it once to an audience. And I'm not just saying this, but it killed. It absolutely <laughs> killed an audience. And my favorite part was seeing what people responded to. Like, my favorite is there's like a little montage where everyone's talking about their go to songs. And so it's like somebody's like, well, The Cure. And then you see two people in the back, like, oh, yeah, or Depeche Mode. And then these guys up front are like, yeah, that's that's me. Uh, or Prince, and then you know the girl on this side is like, "That's me." So it was, it was fun. I I didn't ex- anticipate that uh, that it's going to hit everybody in a completely different way. And it was it was kind of magical watching it with a audience and seeing it literally do that. So I hope we'll get to do a few screenings at some point. It'd work, especially at like a festival like South by Southwest that has the film and the the music component. That'd work. Uh, and before we get into uh, the social media plugs of where people can find out more details live, you mentioned Australia, and I wanted to share this little story. Uh, okay. <laughs> a few months back when I was looking through the Tribeca Film Festival screening, I emailed you and I asked, motherfucker, how you produce a movie at Tribeca narrated by Dennis Hopper when that motherfucker long time dead? And you said, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to which I said, uh, unless another Rob Galuzzo produced Girls Can't Surf, and you said, yes, that's Australian Rob Galuzzo. That's Australian Rob so, Galuzzo, yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I didn't know there was an Australian version of you, and now we're aware. So, what are the social media places where people can find analog love if you'd be so kind, please? Um, it is on Instagram and Facebook as Analog Love Movie. There you go. Um, so just look it up there. You know, we post fun things on the Instagram and we'll keep you posted on screenings and fun events. And something I think I could reveal because this will probably air around the time the movie comes out. Um, I am a huge coffee drinker. I love my coffee. Uh, there's a great coffee company out in LA called um, Old Town Roasting. And uh, they're they're really good people. Their coffee is top quality and they love the film. And we got to talking and they are producing an analog love blend (laughs) of coffee that will come out at the same time as the movie. Uh, I personally tested four different blends Mm -hmm. and it proved what I think tastes like a warm and fuzzy mixtape. So it will be the analog love mixtape blend. Uh, I think it's dark chocolate uh, notes of citrus and, and, uh, and a touch of, um, and, uh, God, I totally screwed it up. Star chocolate, citrus, maybe a little hazelnut, but it is absolutely delicious. And most importantly, um, part of the proceeds from the coffee will go to ALS research, 
we unfortunately lost uh, Kim Shattuck of the Muffs. Um, yes. She never got to, she was very, very lovely. I adored her growing up and saw the Muffs at CBGB's in the 90s and plenty of times throughout the years. In fact, after I interviewed her, she put me on the guest list for the next Muffs show and I went. Um, she was very kind and very supportive of the doc. She never got to see the final one, unfortunately. And uh, I really adored her and was uh, really heartbroken that she left us so early. So when we started uh, talking about this coffee thing and they brought up a charity, uh, I said, well, we have to do it for Kim. So uh, you can drink great coffee <laughs> and support a great cause at the same time that all ties into our love of music. So which, forward. which is very sweet because I was going to ask, uh, it, it's warm and fuzzy. I was going to ask, uh, is it is it that that subtle let's let's casually and and calmly get up in the morning or is it that kind of blend that is like pow motherfucker wake up i know i, th I think yeah, it's the casual yeah. wake up in the morning that's you know you gotta sip it while listening to a good mix i think that's the appropriate one which which is very fitting for yeah. this film <laughs> and i thank you for being a part of this show you can check out spooky doings on instagram Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook. Uh, I'm back on Twitter at Rick Guzman 718 uh, Let us know what mixtapes you made if you're old like Rob and myself, <laughs> or if you just want to call me old on social media. Those are the places you can do that. And I agree. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rob. It's been great talking to you. Yes, Everybody man. should check out this movie. Um, Learn the metric system because you're in France, and I think you need to do that. Uh, otherwise... Well, there's there's a McDonald's on the quarter, so I've definitely had a Royale with cheese. <laughs> Royale that. with cheese. <laughs> Check out the big yeah. brain on Rob. <laughs> yeah. And, and to all our listeners, stay good, stay healthy, stay spooky. Until next time.